Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master Hello and welcome to Sega Talk, episode 55. I'm Barry, with me is George. Hello everyone. There he is, and we are actually covering our first licensed movie game. So we're going to be talking about Ghostbusters, and the reason we're doing that is because it is officially the Halloween season as we record this. We are almost halfway through October, which is uh, <laughs> pretty crazy because... Yeah, when I was when I was planning this, I'm like, ah, uh, it might be too early in October. No, it's uh, you got what two weekends left? Yeah, what what are you going to be for Halloween, George? Myself. How about yeah. you? Yeah, probably myself as well, which is the scariest thing I can imagine. That's what I was thinking. The same thing. I was like, and depressing <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Are you going to get a haircut before Halloween, or have you gotten one? I haven't gotten one yet. I did shave. So right now I'm I'm no beard, but uh, I'm thinking. I saw. I'm, I'm thinking about cutting my hair soon, so we'll see. You should do a bowl cut, like Mo from the Three Stooges. That's what I was thinking. Something very fashionable, or like a mullet, just at the back. You know. Do it. That'd be great. <laughs> kind of want to announce that next week we have our first Patreon paid for episode of F Zero GX, and then. Right. The week after that, we have Yakuza Zero, which is also a Patreon paid episode, which is going to be kind of interesting. And if you want to support the show, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash segabits, where you can support this show and uh, keep it running and chugging along. And uh, you can see the tears there and back us where you guys feel comfortable backing us. Absolutely. And uh, people are excited to pick them. They're like, oh, I get to pick. And. Um... <laughs> you do uh we do get people asking us to cover games and then they don't like support us and then we're like what so <laughs> um but with this one i this was my pick and the reason i picked this is because ghostbusters means a lot to me for several reasons which we will get into right now so first off ghostbusters itself the movie released to theaters in 1984 which was actually the year i was born so this is kind of like my, you know, people have like their spirit animals. This is like my spirit movie or my birth movie, I guess you could say. Um, it's the the movie released the year I was born that I feel the most like connected to. I know there were other ones out. Obviously, 1984 was a big year for movies. I think Terminator, uh, Gremlins. I'm probably thinking of other ones too. Um, but with this one, Ghostbusters, it was a supernatural comedy. It was directed by Ivan Reitman and written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. The film starred Bill Murray as Peter Venkman, Aykroyd as Ray Stans, Ramis as Egon Spengler, and Ernie, Ernie Hudson as Winston Zeddemore. What do you think of those guys' names, the character names? <laughs> They're kind of ridiculous. But, like, I've seen probably more stuff about the, the making of this movie than I've actually seen the movie for some reason. <laughs> yeah. I guess it makes sense for some of the stuff that you see behind the scenes that they would have these kind of really weird names. Yeah, they're, they are really wacky names. And then you've got uh, supporting roles from Sigourney Weaver, Rick Moranis, Annie Potts, and William Atherton. So the film's plot, I mean, if I need to describe Ghostbusters and you haven't seen it, then I don't know what to say. But uh, it, it pretty much involves three scientists who investigate the paranormal. 
they are fired by the dean of their college, and so they start their own ghost-busting business, and, hire, and they hire a fourth member and a receptionist. A client named Dana Barrett, which is played by Sigourney Weaver, becomes possessed by a demigod named Zool, and her neighbor Louis Tully is possessed by Vince Clortho. <laughs> um, combined, they are the gatekeeper and the keymaster who will unleash, unleash Gozer the Gozerian upon the earth. So it's up to the Ghostbusters to defeat Gozer and rescue their friend and client from Zool while also overcoming legal challenges from the EPA and the mayor. And the film ends with the iconic Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man battle. So, George, I want to throw it to you. Um, I know you are just a tiny bit younger than me, but I think we both probably grew up at around the time that Ghostbusters was kind of red hot. Um, what are your memories about Ghostbusters and what's your history with the franchise, if any? So my history with the Ghostbusters franchise is kind of, I, I wasn't really that into the movie growing up. Like, I guess you were, even though I guess you were really young since you were born when it came out. It's one of those movies that I always heard about. It was always on merchandise. It was like iconic. It was kind of like Star Wars. It was, um, I would say like more popular than Spaceballs and all the other stuff that spawned from that. But it's like its own thing, right? So it's like yeah, weird like horror movie i never seen it even though growing up i was into like horror movies i didn't watch it until mm -hmm. later i watched the actual right. cartoon before this remember that cartoon they used to have oh, oh yeah absolutely and uh um, I, I thought it was actually really interesting that they remade all these characters and like the cartoon versions are still kind of iconic in their own way compared to the yeah well if you watch this movie i don't think anyone could replace the real life ghostbusters because i feel like the actors they chose for this movie were pretty spot on for what they were uh, designed to. Like they were written perfectly for each other, and so absolutely, like the cartoon is its own thing and it's different. So I'm okay with that, and I think that the movie is excellent. And uh, it's one of those movies that I wish I watched when I was younger instead of when I was yeah. older. And uh, yeah, I think it lives up to its iconic. It's one of those movies where I feel like it's almost going to be a mess, but it's the mess in the right ways. Like. You could tell they had so many <laughs> shooting issues in this movie, but like those issues make the movie funnier and I think more, you know, classic. But yeah. 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 I, I would say my history and memories of the Ghostbusters movies specifically and the franchise is that just like as a kid, I was really into like Ninja Turtles, um, Ghostbusters, as I mentioned. And I think the big draw for me was it was like a core team of guys or whoever. And then they had, you know, their vehicles, they had their, their base. Um, there was a very clearly defined like hero villain sort of thing going on. And I just really liked that. And I think not only through the cartoons and movies, but also through the toys. So I was really into like, you get the four guys, you get the vehicle for them and you get their, their like hideout or their play set, you know, like their home. And, I just was really into that sort of thing. I don't know what the appeal was, but it was just this idea of like, I, I can't describe it really. So when it, when it comes to the Ghostbusters movie itself, like as a kid, I actually wasn't really into the first movie. Like I didn't watch it constantly. And I think the reason for that is, is the movie itself is a comedy from these, like these guys who really have a history of making, um, more adult skewed comedies like Stripes, if you've ever seen that, where they're in the military. Um, and here it just, it's almost like they 
just happen to make a a franchise that's kind of in the same vein as Ninja Turtles, but unknowingly. Like, it's not like um, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis was like, we need to make this a super toy-friendly thing. We need to give them, uh, you know, matching suits and a, a home base and a vehicle. And we're going to push this on the kids really hard. Honestly, I think that kind of came out of it. And the reason I think that is that when you look at the cartoon series in the second movie, those ones really embrace that a lot more. They make it feel more like a kid-friendly thing. And so as a kid, I actually like watched the second movie a lot more. And I watched the cartoon a lot more. And I played the video game a lot more just because I felt like those targeted me a lot more than the original movie did, which like watching it now as an adult, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. This is a great comedy. But as a kid, I'm like, when are they going to get to the action scenes? Um, like original TMNT where the sequel is more kid friendly and the original is more adult themed. Absolutely. And I mean, you look at the first movie too, and you realize that the Ecto one, like as cool as a vehicle as it is, it just gets them like around it doesn't have any action scenes um even the second one i don't think it really does much which is why that new movie that was supposed to release this year and is now pushed to next year uh ghostbusters afterlife like they're actually doing action scenes with the car which is surprising you're like whoa it actually does stuff um so that's kind of cool but yeah yeah so i i feel like ghostbusters always came second to ninja turtles for me as a kid um I I think when it was really peaking, I was kind of on my way out of it. Um, But let's let's talk about that. So following the film's success, Ghostbusters, it saw the release of the real Ghostbusters cartoon series in 1986. It saw a Kenner action figure line also in 1986 and Ghostbusters 2 in 1989. So with the cartoon ending in 1991, it could be said that Ghostbusters mania lasted for seven years and peaked with the sequel running concurrent with the cartoon series and toy line. Um, so we kind of already covered this, but what do you think the strongest aspect to Ghostbusters is the, the first movie, second movie, cartoon toy line, like what really stands out to you as the strongest element? I think it's weird because everything was all over the place, but I guess if we see historically, the first movie is probably the most iconic thing because it's a cult classic and people remember, remember it and everything, it, it kind of like. Basically, that uh, what's it? What's that thing called? The 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 fat blimp thing. It was designed, or what isn't it? Oh, um, business that they just like ripped off in re- the Mitchell uh, Wheel Man, basically, right? What's it called in this movie? You know, I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, that little sailor uh, character—it's like it was so iconic, and like the little ghost character, that thing, and the icon where the ghost is saying, you know, the Ghostbusters logo. Those things became really iconic, and I think it was more about the design of those characters that made it iconic. And I guess the mm. cartoon was just them trying to cash in and trying to see if they can make another Ninja Turtles, I guess, with it. And the time, and it did have a toy line, like you said, but I think. In the end, the Bill Murray and all those them actually preserved, you know, it's a cult classic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think there's been a big backlash to kind of the to the second movie since then, where I think a lot of the OG fans were kind of like, no, 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 the second one's not that great, kids. I know it was targeting you in 1989, but the first one is far better. I mean, regardless, they're all fun. Um 
And coming out of that, too, we had tons of video games, which we're here to discuss. So let's dive into the games. I can't really talk about the Ghostbusters Genesis Mega Drive game without first bringing up the early games, which I think a lot of people have probably played. So Ghostbusters, there were a number of games, including a 1984 game by Activision for home computers. It was designed by David Crane in just six weeks, and the game was based in part on an incomplete game he was making called Car Wars. Um, This actually explains why some elements never appeared in the movie. I don't know if you've ever played the NES one or at least watched like video reviews of it, but people would make fun of this thing called a ghost vacuum, which would like suck the ghosts into the roof of the car. Um, so that was actually an element that was carried over from his Car Wars game. Um, it sounds like Star Wars. I don't know what this was all about, but the game was later ported to the Spectrum, Amstrad CPC, MSX, Atari 2600, NES, and of interest to Sega fans, the Master System. So if you listen to our Fantasy Zone episode from a few shows back, you might be familiar with the concept of several different teams handling different ports. They sometimes were fixing issues with re- uh, earlier versions or adding new elements. And so Ghostbusters was no different. The Sega version was actually developed by Compile. Um, and they had an on-foot shooting gallery that they had added to the game that wasn't in other versions. Um, and the NES version, meanwhile, was ported by the Japanese developer Bits Laboratory. So... If you've ever seen like video reviews, especially the uh, AVGN one recovers them all, the NES version is actually riddled with issues, including like difficult action stages, low graphical resolution, and really bad spelling. And that's all on Bits Laboratory. So if you play the Master System version, you're not going to experience a lot of the problems. In fact, you'll experience a pretty good game. And... Well, that Master System one is not the focus of this episode. I think it's worth talking about. So, George, have you played this game or maybe the NES one? Um, and could you compare them if you have? I have not. So I'm going to mm. do the comparing for this. But I'm going to give you guys the reason why I haven't played any of the Ghostbusters games. To me, I don't know. Like, when I was growing up, I had a rule. Like, if I was going to get a game, it was going to be either a unique IP game, right? The, like Sonic the Hedgehog or something that was created specifically or if i was going to dip into like a uh, one of these like you know tv show games it'd be like the simpsons and you know i rented some simpson games that were terrible you know but like yeah back because i was like cartoons right so to me i i never like took the, the bait for the rambo games on, on the master system or genesis or any of that uh mm. robocop even though i uh played one of them they were pretty good so yeah the reason I, I i think i never played it growing up i i think maybe i'm wrong on on that aspect i, I actually want to hear what people think about that the whole what kind of licensed games you play because there's a lot of you know different types of licensed games you know nfl and all that other stuff mm-hmm. you could tell yeah it's the nes version and this one well yeah well it's tricky because like like you're saying i i completely understand because as a kid i rented uh back to the future part three for genesis and that's a terrible game it's unplayable um, the first stage is like balls hard and, um, and as such, I was very skittish when it came to licensed games. I remember renting uh, Buster's Hidden Treasure from Konami, which a lot of people love. I thought that game was like too difficult. 
it was cool. It looked great. It sounded amazing, but it was too difficult. But then there would be games like uh, Hyperstone Heist, and I was like, this game's awesome. There would be games like Ghostbusters and Dick Tracy. I'd be like, these games are awesome. I didn't know why at the time. Now, looking back, obviously, I see that like internal teams at Sega are working on these games, or great companies like Konami are making them, or even Capcom or uh, uh, Virgin with the Disney games. So as a kid, it was really just luck of the draw, unless you were really a savvy person who knew what developers were which and uh, what to avoid, like the LJN or the Activision stuff. But um, uh, for me, I I played the NES one years ago. Actually, it was at my grandpa's. He had an NES and a bunch of games, including Ghostbusters. We'd always play it for a bit, and then I'd get bored with it. I never made it far. Um, And then more recently, I got the Master System one, and really... It's down to just very simple things. Like, they give you a little better direction for aiming. Some enemies are a little easier. Um, It's just... It's very clear that the people at Compile, compared to the people at Bits Laboratory, knew what they were doing. And it seems like the Compile people were like, well, let's make a game based on this that's actually playable, rather than just straight up copying previous ones and not trying to present a better version for people. So is it the best uh, a Ghostbusters game or Master System game? Not not a chance, but it's. I'd say it's up there in terms of the licensed games. Like the Rambo game for Master System is pretty fun. Um, but there aren't that many. Uh, so let's get into... Oh, more games. 1987... There was the release of the real Ghostbusters arcade game from Data East. You probably never saw this one. This is a rare one. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, and it's uh, a top-down shooter, not unlike Heavy Barrel. Have you played Heavy Barrel? Play Heavy Barrel, yeah. It sounds like they'll be fun, actually, playing. I love Heavy Barrel. Yeah, it is fun. It's an overhead uh, shooter like Heavy Barrel. And in Japan, they actually called it Labyrinth Hunter G. So they stripped the Ghostbusters license out of it, though. I don't know if maybe G stands for Ghostbusters. Who knows? Um, that's kind of weird. And then Ghostbusters 2 saw a game by Activision, but there was no Sega console that saw a release. And instead, the game saw ports to home home computers, while the NES had two totally different games using the Ghostbusters 2 name. One was from Activision and one was from HAL Laboratory. So, now that we got the source material and the other games out of the way, let's get to the main event. And this isn't too crazy. I just watched the premiere of Fargo. It took them 20 minutes to get to the uh, the title screen. So, you guys, like, this is not that bad. We're, we're finally in here. So, released to the Mega Drive and Genesis in 1990, Ghostbusters was developed by members of Compile and Sega R&D 2. So while fans are still divided on who's exactly the developer of this game, uh, some say it's not really a compile game. It just has members of compile. I mean, let's be honest here. Like members are both listed in the credits, so it can be said to be like a collaboration. Um, Notably, Takayuki Hirono of Compile, who worked on Aleste and Puyo Puyo and Corn Blue... It, this is the code name. I don't know what their real name is, but Corn Blue <laughs> or Com Blue, who worked on the Fantasy Star franchise, they were the programmers. So right there, you have a superstar from Compile and a superstar from Sega. Uh, 
those are pretty pretty big names. And then we had Akinori Nishiyama, known as Locky P, who wrote and directed Fantasy Star 2. He was also a scenario writer for Sonic Adventure, and he directed a majority of the Sonic games for the GBA and DS, which we actually just did Sonic Advance, so there's a connection. Um, and I didn't know this. Did you know this, George? He was the head of Sonic Team between Yuji Naka's departure and Azuka's appointments. Do you remember that? No, I didn't. I didn't remember that. It's weird because this guy wrote the iconic line in Sonic Adventure. Oh, watch out. Whoa. <laughs> so, like, that's pretty iconic. Yeah. And I, I kind of remember this because I remember reading about Yuji Naka stepping down and they showed this guy's face, like the new head of Sonic Team. Uh, and then you never really heard much from him. Um, and uh, that's that's pretty interesting. And then we had... He was a designer on the game. And then Kazuhiko Nagai, who created the music for Rad Mobile and sound for console ports of Alien Syndrome, Altered Beast, and Star Wars Arcade, is credited for the sound. So in total, 18 people are listed as the game's developers. So... Uh, it's not a question here, but I'm going to ask it to you, George. Hearing those names, does it make you a little more intrigued about the game? Well, like I told you, I've seen gameplay of the game, and I think it actually looks very interesting and high quality compared to stuff like Home Alone or like uh, Home Improvement, the game, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. You named all these uh, developers. I'm I'm a lot more interested, obviously. Uh, some of these names are, you know, pretty heavy hitters. I didn't know that they had these kind of people working on a, a random, like, license game. I mean, was this really that hype? Do you think the Ghostbusters sold uh, video game systems, or you think it was just Sega trying to get new license on their console? Yeah, I can't say for sure. I'm sure it sold really well because Ghostbusters was, like I was saying, really hot at this time. The second movie just came out. Cartoon series was uh, a few years before it concluded, so it wasn't at peak Ghostbusters, but it was definitely, I think, a game a lot of people were renting. I bet it was a bigger rental, if anything, because you go to the video store and you're like, oh, I'll rent Ghostbusters, the movie. Oh, they got the game, because you look at the game, it looks like the movie box. It just has the logo, you know? It, it's, I mean, who wouldn't grab that? And you look at the back and you see, like... Uh, something much different from what you see on your NES or something like that. So, I mean, who knows? I got it for twenty four ninety nine. it says here on the back. Look at that. Um, so, yes, I mean, I'm sure it's worth more, maybe. Um, so, yeah, so the 80s and 90s, um, Sega never really shared information on who worked on what. Um, so, like we said, it, it is kind of surprising to see who worked on it. Um the team's resume, what does it tell you to expect from the game? For me, personally, like, having played the game and then reading this, I I do get that um, emphasis on story with the um, the designer from Sonic Adventure and from the Fantasy Star games. There is, like, a little more to the game than just a straight rip of the movie plot. It has a little bit of like lore to it, new characters. So they did go out of their way to make it not only feel unique from the movie, but also put a little bit of their own spin on it. And as you'll see later, it gets kind of weird. Like something weird happens at the end of the game that I've never seen in any other game, which I'm kind of looking forward to covering. Um, All right. Yeah, it's going to get crazy. So uh, 
Another thing worth noting is that Ghostbusters for the Mega Drive and Genesis is unique for a number of reasons. The game itself is incredibly, entirely unique. It's not based on any pre-existing Ghostbusters game. It's not a reskin of a Japanese title. Um, the game's story takes place after the first movie, but there's no mention of the sequel film, and it does not use uh, the character designs of the cartoon. Um, it also kind of... The second movie actually has things that make the game kind of, like, not canon. Because in the second movie, they say, like, oh, there's a no ghost activity since since we defeated Gozer in the first movie. And it's like, oh, well, I guess none of this stuff happened. Um, so during development, what I thought was really interesting was that the game was actually known as Ghostbusters 2. And one could speculate that this was to tie in with the upcoming movie, or that the idea of the game is that it's like a sequel to the original movie. So what do you think it is? You personally. I think probably the team was thinking like, what will we do if we, we made a sequel to the movie? And they kind of went in development and then there was an actual sequel taking place, but they kind of made their own thing. I, I think I would think of it as like, what if this was the sequel to the movie? If there wasn't a sequel to the movie, but there is a sequel, so I guess it's a extended universe Ghostbusters lore. Yeah, it. I mean, it has to be. My my thought process was is that if you look at games like there's a game called Goonies Two on the NES, and Goonies is a movie, and people thought for the longest time, uh, Westerners thought that this was like the sequel to the Goonies movie. However, in Japan, there was another Goonies game. So in Japan, it was Goonies the game and then Goonies the game too. They just didn't change the name when it came over. My guess is, is that when they were calling this Ghostbusters 2, because they had members of Compile who worked on the first game, this was Ghostbusters 2, Our opinions the sequel on this. to I guess Ghostbusters on movie, 1 right? on the Master System. That's my guess. Because when you put these side by side, they look like it might be a port of the same game, but it's not. So, a little confusing. But, uh, are you ready for the plot? I know you are. Of course I am. Okay. <laughs> going to play the video that you sent me? Yeah, for sure. So this is some gameplay video that I recorded. It's about 16 minutes long. I played with no cheat codes or anything. It's just me casually playing through the game. So you can kind of get a, an idea of how it goes. Um, I'm not going to read the plot as I, it, it rolls I think it's out, weird but you'll get an idea here. So was... the Ghostbusters are down on their luck due to a lack of ghost activity when suddenly several calls begin to pour in from around the city, including the eventual reappearance of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. After each case, a, a piece of a stone tablet is collected and the three Ghostbusters piece together the mysterious tablet, inadvertently opening a portal to the evil world and releasing a horde of ghosts. In the end, though, the Ghostbusters manage to defeat Janna, the god of darkness, what a name, and retrieve a mystical gem from the evil world. They combine the gem with the tablet to close the portal, and they save the city. So, spoiler alert, but um, what? what's your just, thought on that? What they spoiled the... the... <sighs> They spoiled everything, dude. I don't even want to play the game anymore. I re- we well, what do you think about ends. that plot? It's I mean, it's kind of this. It's the movie. It's the first movie, but different. 
and I think they did this a lot in um, a long time ago. And uh, I mean, back then they would just do these like let's just retell the same story as the movie, but in a slightly mm-hmm. different way. Like um, I'm trying to think of uh, other games that did it. Um, did, wasn't there like an NES uh, Ninja Turtle game where it basically kind of lifted the idea of the of the movie, the second movie, where you had those two mutants that were just bigger? I guess you could say they were like Bebop and Rocksteady too, right? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of that going on. In terms of, like, movies doing that, Home Alone 2 is notorious for being just, like, a straight ripoff of the first Home Alone. Yeah. But it could be said here, at least, that it does reference the first movie. Like, it shows them already assembled. They're a team, and they're like, man, we need more work. The weird thing is is that Winston's not there. I don't know where he is, but uh, he's not there. I wonder (laughs) why. that's kind of... A common thing in these games is to not put Winston in them, which is kind of shitty. I think it's maybe a a contractual thing. Maybe that's what it is. I'm not exactly sure. Um, Even on the movie poster, he's a featured actor. He's not a main cast actor. Who knows? Um, But when when you do kick off the game, you select Peter, Ray, or Egon. The characters are rated by speed and stamina. With Peter being the balanced player, uh, balanced character, Ray being slow but strong, and Egon being fast but weak. And there are also three difficulty levels in the options screen. So controls are pretty simple. Your standard platforming controls apply with abilities like jumping, walking, crawling, climbing up and down ladders, and aiming your weapons in five directions. Uh, A throws bombs, B fires your weapons. And C jumps. And thankfully, I'm so happy they did this. Drops from any distance, even long ones, will not harm you. I hate when they do that. So uh, it's rare for licensed games to create, in my opinion, playable characters that aren't either underpowered or limited by nonsense like death by falling certain heights. Heck, like uh, Superman games notoriously underpower him. Like he takes damage, which makes no sense. I Um, agree. So... Do you think ignoring realism actually helps make for a better game in this instance? Yes, it does. I mean, I, let's be honest. We're all playing video games, and in the in the end of the day, if it's annoying, uh, we should probably stop it. And I, and I have to agree with, like, <laughs> when people, like, bring this up on little things, like the new uh, Shimu 3, where you have to eat to be sustained. Yeah, you could say it's more of a simulation of life. But it's more right. of like you just annoy. You're just being more annoying. That's what you're doing. So, <laughs> in the end of the day, the less annoying a game is, the more I'll come back and uh, actually play your game and find out that it's actually really good. Like you don't want your people to quit right away because they fell off a, a ledge. Right, like Bubsy did that, and that's like a cartoon game. But yet, yeah, they still killed you. It's like oh yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. That's I, just. I think for for me, I was coming off of Sonic the Hedgehog. So playing this game, obviously characters were slower, but I really liked that I could aim in all these different directions. There were all these weapons. Um, I didn't put it in the notes, but a game that I feel like this game is very similar to is uh, Quackshot. Maybe I did mention it later, but it's just um, Quackshot starring Donald Duck. There was a lot of Sega people that worked on that too. I don't know if there was a crossover with development teams, but coming off of this game into that or vice versa, you just feel completely at home. You're like, oh, cool, this is fun. So it's like, he's not as fast as Sonic. He doesn't really jump on people's heads like Mario. 
but you have uh, projectiles. You don't fall from dying like with that stupid Bubsy game. Yeah. So it's um, and also like I was talking about Back to the Future Part Three, and that one they just put you on a horse, and you're controlling not the character but a horse. Oh, so. Okay. You know, it's it seems like with a lot of licensed games, they're afraid to give too much control to the player. Or if they do, they're like, well, this is a movie based on a real thing, so let's make people stub their toes or whatever. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, speaking of ridiculous, so after the opening cutscene, players can begin the game or they check out the weapon and items shop. So let's check out the weapon shop here. The... Uh, the weapon shop, it's kind of weird because, yeah, yeah um, so you see this guy, hey, are you the Ghostbusters everyone's been talking about? So right off the bat, if you know Ghostbusters, this is weird because they make all their own devices. I mean, sure, they buy the parts, but right here they show this like mad scientist guy and he's only called like item shop owner. He doesn't have a name or weapon shop owner. And... He sells all these amazing things that are clearly made for the Ghostbusters, but he's meeting them for the first time. It's like, oh my god, it's you guys. And it's like, dude, you built a business out of things specific for the Ghostbusters, but you don't work for them. It's, it's kind you know, of weird. You know what he kind of looks like? He looks like Dark Dark yeah. White Wiry from uh, yeah. the Mega Man, right? <laughs> he does look like Dr. Wily from Mega Man. That's what <laughs> makes it even weirder. And... He's like he's like a mad scientist. Um, he he sells them things like shields, bubble guns, and three way shots. The weapons are very cool. I personally think though one of the issues with the game is that the monetary system wasn't really thought out. Like some things are insanely expensive. Like that little thing you see at the very bottom for like thirty five thousand. That's a lot of money um, within the game. So. It, eh. feel, it feels like uh, the, it, it feels like those people that price games on eBay, right? Where you're like randomly <laughs> see like a game, you're like, "Oh, that's a pretty all right price, thirty five bucks," and then you'll be like, "NBA Action ninety eight, uh, one thousand five hundred, super rare." And rare. It's, you're like, "What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? Okay." <laughs> <laughs> um, let's let's get to the controversial part, in my opinion. Oh. So we got this guy. Um, this is weird. So. I, you know, I'm not being like a prude here. I've watched the cartoons. I've watched like Ninja Turtles and stuff. They show like Chinese store guy, like Chinese restaurant guys. They look like this. I'm not incredibly bothered, but I think it is kind of a racist it, it's stereotype. It's from Japanese developers, though. So what's going on here? It's like a, it's like a, a Chinese guy, but seen through the eyes of Japan. <laughs> I, I, mean... I mean, Shenmue Two. He goes to China, and they're kind of. I don't know if their depictions are all that fair. What is your thought on this? I don't know if I can speak to this. Um, I mean, I think anybody could speak to it. I mean, it's a very racist, like, 1920s or, like, very early American, uh, like, depiction of Asian people, like, that you would see in, like, very early DC comic books. Um, yeah. So it's, like, very outdated. It's Even for the, I think, for the late 80s, it's pretty outdated view of Asian people. So yeah. I would have to agree. It's age badly. This part. Okay, good. I, I'm glad I'm not alone here. And he sells stuff. He sells some weird stuff. So he sells, they call it gyoza, um, which I think that's I, like, those little dumpling things. Those are good. Um, Peking duck, Ooh. infrared goggles and bombs. So it's like, 
what is this guy? Is it a restaurant? Is it a, why isn't the, the weapons guy selling like infrared goggles? It's kind of weird. And then can you imagine going to a restaurant and you're like, I'll take a bomb and uh, infrared goggles. Thank <laughs> exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> and another negative I have on the game is that the bomb, it's like a literal cartoon bomb and, and it's, it has no <laughs> place in the game. Like you throw them and they explode and they're very helpful, but they're weird. I mean, I, I don't understand why they did that. They could have made a cool device like a ghost bomb or something, but nah, it's like a an old like you know nineteen thirties cartoon bomb or something. Um, the shop owners are weird. I think we've established that. We'll get back to them in a little bit. Um, as for the action of the game, you start with a map screen. It presents four buildings, which you can select in any order. But it is, is, it is advised to move from the bottom of the screen to the top. The buildings are broken up into cases, which have clients asking you to get rid of one or more ghosts. And mm. busting ghosts not only makes you feel good, but it also puts money in your bank so you can buy more crazy expensive items. So let's talk about the first case here. This one's called Home Sweet Home. And uh, kind of playing off of what I was saying with the Fantasy Star uh, developers working on this, there are like little cutscenes with the um, clients, a little back and forth. They're always afraid or cold or frightened or whatever. Um, so you have this woman, and she's uh, she's asking you guys to come and help clear the ghosts out of her house. All stages are non-linear, and players are free to enter and exit stages to access the shops as they please. However, I believe. Well, the bosses don't respawn. All the enemies respawn whenever you leave, like, a room. So, I mean, if anything, that's good for you because you can make more money when you come back through with your items that you picked up. Um, they have end bosses and sub-bosses who are known as middle ghosts. And you'll encounter various ghosts throughout the stages as well as possessed floating objects. Slimer makes his appearance throughout the game as a health or energy bonus drop, shooting uh, Slimer causes him to drop a glowing orb that matches the color of your health or energy bar. So case one, it only has one middle ghost. His name, he has two names. I actually pulled the names from the manual after writing these up. And the manual names are different from uh, GameFAQs names that I got. But I included both because I found them amusing. So um, we have Magic Hatter and Hungry Beast, or his official name is Silk Hatton. A headless man in a top hat who can split in half at the waist and he reveals a hungry chihuahua dog monster. And then uh, if you shoot the, the man, he goes away. And then the dog monster floats around. You shoot the dog monster's body and his head floats around. You shoot him. He turns into a green ghost. You uh, lead the green ghost into a trap. And you get money. So a successful... That's insane. What do you yeah, think about that? Yeah, I was going to say that's like <laughs> that, that. That sounds Japanese, like like one of those like Gunstar Hero bosses where you yeah. have like five steps to defeat them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would say if you like Gunstar Heroes, you'd probably dig the bosses in this game. They're not as ingenious, but they're all very goofy and different, and some of them have weird, weird like uh, uh, segmented parts that move around. Um. So it's it's worth checking out if you're a Gunstar or a, a, yeah Gunstar Heroes fan. Um, so this is actually with every middle ghost they turn into these little green guys. They can escape and that's fine, but then you lose out on a, a bonus as well as replenished health and energy. Um, so you know you're not required to capture them, but it helps. The boss ghost is named Scalon or Scaly. 
I like Scaly, but his name's Scalon. And he's a big-headed, skinny-bodied creature covered in scales that separate and fly at the player. Killing him causes his head to separate and his eyes pop out, um, which you have to avoid his eyes to take damage. And then at the end, he drops a strange-looking tablet. So all in all, this goes by pretty quick. You might have seen some of the play gameplay of this uh, as we were talking earlier. Um, it's it's a nice uh, nice little stage, but things get even weirder as you uh, go into the second case. So we've got apartment here. Apartment. Doesn't look like a, doesn't look like an apartment to me. Doesn't really no. Uh, so uh, before you solve the mystery of the tablet, you have to go to the second case. It's located inside a flooded frozen apartment players face ice based enemies as well as two middle ghosts and a boss ghost so one middle ghost is called evil evil wraith or siren and it's a floating woman who resembles dana's possessed form from the first movie uh the wraith can project herself into three copies and you have to shoot the right one so again kind of a gimmicky boss right there the the second middle ghost is the abominable Iceman, but his real name is Cristarobo, Cristarobo, and he Ooh. acts like a big gorilla who can swing and summon shards of ice that explode if you don't shoot them. Um, as with the bolt, the first case again, they turn into green ghosts. So you capture them to get money. Um, the final boss for this stage is named Snowman or Snowman Ghost. I mean, Ooh. you know, he's the ghost of the call, snowman. Yeah, they, they can call like the. Well, they call the the Chris the gorilla Cristarobo, but then here it's just called Snowman. Um, he's a giant floating snowman who releases tiny snowmen who fire carrot noses at you. And it's at this point in the game that you start to figure out as a player that you need to think about what weapons and items you're using. Um, so a combination of the phaser shell and bombs work best with this boss. And again, talking about a, a previous uh, episode we did, Fantasy Zone, like, you know, it's it's kind of like that right there. It seems like they built a lot of the uh, bosses and then thought what weapons would help with this boss, and then they put them in there. So it's kind of a fun was, little way for players to uh, experiment with what work with what works best for them. I was going to um, say but, it, it reminded me when you said there was a actual shop. It reminded me kind of like you know, there's a shop in Fantasy Zone, and it's sort of a shooting game too. So mm-hmm. that 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 gave me kind of those fantasy zone vibes, you know. Yeah, it definitely has a, uh, a treasure and fantasy zone sort of vibe to it, um, and you really start to get that uh, uh, vibe, at least in terms of like being smart with what sort of items and money management you have when you get to the third case. So this one's called Woody House, which is not Woody from Toy Story, unfortunately. Damn. Um, I, I personally thought this one was always the hardest of the first four stages, if only because it's in complete darkness. So like Sonic 3's Sandopolis zone, players actually only have a small amount of visibility, or there's like a little circle around you, and then the rest is black. Um, the only way you can see everything is instead of pushing switches, you actually wear the night vision goggles. Unfortunately, you can only hold a maximum of nine of these goggles at a time and they're a hundred dollars each. So you need oh, to be dropping, I'd say about uh, maybe $1,800 in total if you want to get through the stage. So at a certain point you might have to exit, go back to the shop, buy nine more and then go back to the stage. It's, it kind of sucks. But once you, you figure that out, it, it goes pretty quick. Um, 
the uh, in addition to darkness, the house is on fire. So there are fire-based ghosts and bosses. There's a uh, dragon of flames or fire dragon, and he's the first middle ghost. He's a large dragon with a head made out of flames. Um, a three-way shot is your best weapon to cho- to use here. The second middle ghost is fire demon. He's a fire giant, and he's a humanoid shaped fire thing that leaps around. Um, and then the stage boss is named, I love that he has two names. Tell me which one you prefer, Flameface or Wallman. Which one do you like? Uh, Flameface. It, it looks really scary, though. It's just like a weird screaming face. That's it is. Flat. It's this giant face that looks at you and talks. And then when you get to the stage, he's popping out of the ceiling, the floor. So, like, think of this, though. Like, you're, I don't know, like, like six, five years old playing this at night in your basement this is kind of scary stuff. Like I know they have big heads, little bodies. It looks kind of cartoony, but the ghosts actually can be creepy in this game. And I like that actually. Um, he's a fiery face. He emerges from walls and spits fireballs. So defeating him, you get the third piece of the tablet. So if you're catching on, there are four tablet pieces to uncover. So the last one would be in the high rise building. And this one is probably, uh, for fans of the first film, especially because Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is back for no reason, really. Um, he's the stage boss, and he also looms outside the windows throughout the stage and will sometimes punch through walls at you. The first middle ghost is a giant segmented centipede named 100-Eyed Centipede, which is a pretty creative name. Um, and you must break him apart into smaller centipedes before defeating him. Um, the second middle ghost is named Living Cage or Shell Beast, and he's like this like thing that opens up, and then you can see the little ghost inside, and then he closes, and he rolls around and floats and attacks you, and then finally you get to the encounter everyone's looking forward to, which is the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. It's actually a pretty cool battle. It's on the roof of the building, and you must shoot him in the face to deal maximum damage. And once you melt him, you obtain the final tablet. Um, so before I get to the crazy stuff, what do you think about these four stages? Uh, they seem kind of like, it feels like they went like, all right, we need one in a, in a house house. All right, cool. Yeah. One's ice, and then the other one's going to be fire. And then they kind of ran out of ideas, and then they're like, all right, now we have to get to the iconic roof scene from yeah. the first film. And that's kind of how they went. You, I mean... I don't know if you looked more into it, but I'm assuming this was a very short developing game. I'm assuming this is one of those, we have to pop it out now before the movie comes out games. Yeah, I would guess they were probably trying to coincide it with maybe the, the second movie or they heard the TV show ascending soon. Because the you definitely get that elemental aspect that then they just kind of drop. Like You'll see later on they do kind of have like earth maybe if we're talking about like fire and water and ice, but yeah, the, the uh, high rise building, it's pretty cool. It's epic, but it definitely does not have the gimmicks that ice and fire had. And it does definitely feel like a retread of the, uh, the first stage does share a lot of uh, elements. Um, However, I got to tell you this crazy bit. So Tell me how you'd react to this. So you return to the HQ and you discover that 
And I can actually think of a game now that I talk about this where something like this happens. So you return to HQ and you discover that the other two Ghostbusters are missing. And there's a note left behind that says they're kidnapped by a man named Arthur who demands that you come to his castle and bring the tablets. And this is where it gets really weird, in my opinion. The weapons shop owner, remember that guy that looks like uh, Dr. Wiley? Yeah. He uh, he appears. <laughs> so he leaves the weapons shop and actually appears in your like Ghostbusters headquarters. And he tells you all about this Arthur guy. And it turns out Arthur's actually a scientist who was friends with the weapons shop owner. <laughs> and okay. um, Arthur studied ghosts and then he became corrupted by Janna, the goddess of death and destruction. Um, so what, isn't that, it kind of weird that like an NPC from the weapon shop suddenly becomes important to the story? Yeah, it is kind of weird. Can you, I mean, I know they did it in like Metal Gear Solid, you know, like when I first played that game, when it's like, this guy tells you about weapons and you're like talking to him and the guy's like, actually, I'm the bad guy you've been hunting the whole time. And you're like, mm. oh my God. So, I mean, I've had games that they try to do that, right? Where they like a minor character is actually a big character and they kind of did like a 360 on that game, Metal Gear, where it's like he's a character that's actually another character that's another character kind of a thing. <laughs> but like yeah. uh, it is kind of weird that they like randomly in the middle of the game are like, uh, actually, this is the story now. All the other stuff was whatever. Because <laughs> if you think about right. it, they were just cases. Yeah, exactly. And this Arthur guy, he never showed up until like at this point. Um, and he doesn't really play a big role. I. Just talking about this just now, what came to mind is uh, Jet Grind Radio, the um, American localization of Jet Set Radio. It does some weird things. Like um, in the original Japanese version and in the American version, like Potts, who's just like a dog you see in the background, gets kidnapped. And you're like, (laughs) oh, so this like set decoration is suddenly like the reason I have to go and like battle the enemies. Like it was just this dog. Um, but then it gets also weirder in the American version because if you remember the, uh, grind city stuff, all of a sudden, um, uh, combo becomes the narrator of the game, even though he's just like a random GG in the Japanese version. And then all of a sudden he's like, we've got to find coin, my, my buddy coin. And you're like, Oh my God, they added a new skater named coin. He kind of looks like Tony Hawk. This is cool. And then at the end of the game, he goes, Oh, coin died. And you're like, wait, so you designed a 3D model of a character, used it in one static cutscene, and then he's dead. So it's like, what, what could we I mean, it's, say I, don't know if, I don't know what's crazier, the weapon shop owner who doesn't have a name. He's called weapon shop owner. So weapon shop owner and Arthur were like BFFs. And this is a completely other story. So I guess in that sense, it is similar because then you have coin who never plays a part in the game again, but he's like super important to combo. Like combo cries when he thinks about coin and everyone's like, who the hell's coin? And he's like, my buddy, my best friend. So here weapon shop owner is like, man, Arthur, what happened to Arthur? Uh, So what, what, what's also really weird is you think there's going to be like a long thing with Arthur. You pretty much, you give Arthur the tablets and he frees your friends and you don't really see Arthur again. But and I'm trying to remember, I don't remember how it comes out in the game, but I think he gets eaten by the end boss of the fifth case off screen. So it's like, you don't really, Arthur's in it and then not in it anymore. It's pretty quick. Um, so the fifth case 
is uh, <laughs> it'll get weird again at the end. Um, the fifth case is the castle. And this is actually a very spooky and cool looking stage. I've only made it here a few times playing through the game. Um, I always play through the first like three or four and then shut it off. But as a kid, I did go all out and complete the game. Um, how I did that, I will get to. But first off, case five, it sees you entering a spooky castle. The first middle ghost is a possessed Ghostbuster called Uh-oh. Marionette. So there's a ghost floating behind him that's actually controlling him. So what you have to do is you have to shoot the ghost, not the Ghostbuster. Otherwise, your possessed friend will like do a crazy attack on you. Um, and then the second middle ghost is another Ghostbuster. So you do that again. It's kind of, you know... Showing that they're doing a lot of copy-paste here. And then the third middle ghost is called... I love this name. It's Broccoli Worm. And oh, God. It's it's pretty much a worm made out of like broccoli and slime, I guess. Um, and shooting him, he splits off parts of his body as he takes damage. And then the next boss, which is actually... I think another Death. middle boss. Gosh, there's so many in this one. Is Death himself. So yes, it's wow. the Grim Reaper... He appears, and and you're like, oh my god, I've I've battled two bosses, a broccoli worm and death. So what's next? <laughs> well, if you can, if you can't guess, it's it's uh, Audrey Two from Little Shop of Horrors. It's a Venus Death wow. Trap, also called Insect Trapper, but it's very clearly a ripoff of Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors, specifically the uh, 1980, I think six movie starring. Ghostbusters actor Rick Moranis and when I learned that I went back and kind of like watched clips of the movie and if you remember the the Chinese item shop owner there is a Chinese guy at the beginning of Little Shop of Horrors who looks like that guy oh yeah I have to wonder if they were like in Japan they were like oh Ghostbusters is cool Rick Moranis is cool uh Little Shop of Horrors let's steal Audrey let's steal the Chinese guy it, that's my only guess. Um, really weird stuff. So this boss has a variety of projectiles, and its weak point is its mouth. Um, and <laughs> it gets weirder. So completing the stage will see you rewarded by the weapon shop owner. So the guy who sells you weapons throughout the game is now your client, and he pays you for killing the Venus flytrap that ate his former friend. <laughs> and then you go to the All final right. boss. So, George, what do you think of that? Is that weird? Yeah, that's pretty weird. It's like I don't even know what they were thinking when they were making this game. They're like, <laughs> it's like you. It's kind of like you go to these f- f- four missions, right? And it's like yeah. just typical Ghostbusters work. But then you come home and they're like, okay, check this out. The item owner guy that you don't even know by name. His name is just yeah. item owner in your head. His name is item owner. Is like. Arthur, yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. And, I mean, I have the manual here. Their names are, like, item shop owner and weapon shop owner. That's it. Yeah. I hope Weapon Shop Owner for Smash happens. That would be awesome. It's like 
Yeah. Time to find Arthur. Maybe Arthur is like the alt or something. Um, so let's let's finish this game up. We got the sixth case. It's called Deep Hole. And yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. It is strange. And it's probably the clearest sign that they were rushing development because it's it's tough. But the reason why it's tough is you go through a boss rush so you have to fight Scaly again. You have to fight the Snowman again. You got to fight Flameface again, and you got to fight the Venus Flytrap, which I feel like you just battled. So that's got to be really annoying. And then you finally encounter Jenna, the goddess of death and destruction. So Jenna appears as a giant monster with armor, who sends a giant bouncing heart at you, and then she swings a giant boomerang-like blade weapon, and enough damage causes Jenna to float about the stage before exploding. And then you are, and this is kind of pointless. You're rewarded by the mayor and he pays you, but you ended, you completed the game so you can't buy anything else. I guess it's for your score. And then you receive a pretty cool parade over the end credits. So, whew, that's the game. A lot happens and it is very boss heavy, weapons focused, and non linear. Um, as I said earlier, the best comparison I can make is Sega's Quackshot starring Donald Duck, which I believe the, de- the designer of Knuckles worked on. Um, so what are your thoughts on the design of the game? And can you think of any other platformers that use this sort of design? Does Mega Man do this? Can you exit stages? You can you can enter any stage in any order. And you can exit stages to buy items and return to those stages. I mean, yeah, especially the X series, you could buy like uh, capsules and just go. And some stages have capsule upgrades where you would have you just hunt for them. I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say I guess Mega Man would have something like that for sure. Um, but yeah, I, Gunstar Heroes. You you didn't have to go in order. There's like Thunder Force. You could do the levels you want. I don't know if you could buy mm-hmm. keep. Um, but I would yeah. at this day this game. You could tell it was rushed, and it's funny. Yeah. It meant so much to you. I mean, like it's funny because like when we grow up, there's some games where everyone's like that game's trash, but you're like, wow, I grew up with it actually, and so here's all the things <laughs> I like about it, and you name them all out, and you're and it's like. It's not going to convince anyone to like a game you lo- liked growing up with the memories, right? And I feel like this is right your game. I think we've had games where I, it was my version of that. Um, usually, yeah. I, I pick something heavier, but now that you're going this deep, I'm thinking of doing ho- home improvement on this on the Sega Genesis. I don't even know. If- I'm all for that. <laughs> that so. I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm all for that. I- <laughs> what was your thoughts on the game? like the the way it like went from like just cases to this weird item shop owner story to ending the game well i mean for me when i booted up the game i typically did play through the whole thing so for me i really liked how i could dive into any of the first four stages without doing any level select like i was actually playing the game and progressing in a sense um i much preferred Quackshot, it uses the same sort of format, but it's a lot a uh, lot tighter of experience. Um, I, I feel like, though, with here, you can actually complete 
like the third stage or the fourth stage. Um, and it's not, what would I, what am I trying to say? It's not as, uh, impossible. Like with, um, with quack shot, it actually will stop you and be like, you don't even have this weapon or you don't even have this key. So I'm sorry, you cannot enter. Um, so yeah, I, I like it. <laughs> like you said, it's, it's a game I grew up with. It's a game that people could tell me it's trash and I tell them they have a shit opinion and they go back home to mama. But, um, I, I mean, I think in the end it's, it's actually a pretty solid game. There's some neat ideas here and there is some real talent behind it. So you can't say like, oh, it's just crap. But then it has like fancy star Sonic adventure, um, Puyo Puyo guys working behind the scenes. So, you know, there's that. Um, as mentioned, the game is weapons heavy. There's different weapons that are perfect for different enemies and bosses, and defeating enemies earns money to buy more weapons. Um, as mentioned, this is very similar to Fantasy Zone. And what what are your thoughts on using this sort of system in a platformer as opposed to a shoot 'em up? You know, it's funny because like uh, it's something that we're seeing kind of make a comeback now with like indie developers where they'll take like a system like let's say Outrun or whatever and they'll make kind of like a clone game but they'll give it a more modern twist where it's like every time you right it's a roguelike and you get to update your stuff and you just keep on going off this track right or like they all they're doing this now and I feel like it was it's always been something that's happened in gaming even back then where. This development team's like, okay, we need, they'll just, like, it's very arcadey. If you look at all the shop, the weapon shops, all these rules are very Japanese arcade, but it's weird because it's like, you're seeing, like, Bill Murray's face on a, like, a chibi, chibi character. <laughs> Probably be like a little anime girl if it was in Japan, right? Like, the design is, like, very Japanese, like the chibi little kid characters, but it's instead is old Bill Murray with his receding hairline, which is hilarious, I think. <laughs> so I, I actually like the design of this game a lot because of that so yeah but i will say too i just wanted to double check myself so i actually just booted up the game it's playing on my computer here um when you play out of order the even if you play like the fourth case in in the actual gameplay order it comes up as the first case so like high rise i played that first it says first case but as 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 I was saying, like with Woody House, you need to have money in order to progress with the night vision goggles. So it's kind of like, it's it's weird. It, like, it doesn't hold your hand so much. So you do kind of have to figure it out. You'd think, oh, cool, I can go right to Stay Puffed. I'll blow past these other stages, and then you get through it. And you're like, man, I am wrecked. And then it's like, wait, I have to go back. I didn't like skip other stages, man. So. It's uh, yeah, Mega Man, right? Where like some guns will make the other bosses die quicker, so you kind of are incentivized to figure out the path. You know, like this boss, mm-hmm. this weapon that lets you kill this boss, kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. So it's it's cool. Um, I I do like the system. I think the the money system in Fantasy Zone worked out a lot better than here, but it, it's a cool idea. Um, Now, I want to get to a controversial part here. So, Ghostbusters. It's a long game with a decidedly difficult lives and continue system. Uh, Some weapons are a bit pricey, leaving little room for error with middle ghosts and causing players 
to have to farm a bit throughout the stage as they battle smaller enemies, and as such, Ghostbusters, in my opinion, is the perfect Game Genie game. So if you don't know Game Genie, it, it helps you like jump higher, live forever, all these crazy things, but there's several codes for this game that just give you a little bit more health um, or near invulnerability, so you can get hurt from certain things, but not everything. And in my opinion, what really changes the game is you can actually uh, put codes in that increase the uh, payout for uh, regular enemies, sub-bosses, and bosses. So you can, you know, kind of boost it a little bit for you if you see fit, and it actually makes the game a much better experience. So you might get halfway through, and then you're like, oh, I can finally afford the cool weapons that otherwise I never would have afforded or would have probably seen like in the last stage or something like that. Um, So while Game Genie is often seen as a game-breaking cheat device, it can also balance certain games to the player's liking. So what are your opinions on cheat devices? And do you think it's fair to like rebalance a game to a player's needs? Do you think like that's a fair way to play and say you've played the game or should you play what the developers give you? I think you should play whatever you want. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, I feel like modifying games is just fine. I I, I actually kind of like the modification scene that we have right now. Like right now they've had some like releases where I'm like, Ooh, I want to try that. Like, I wish I had more time to try some stuff, but like there was that street fighter two recolor, which is like a bunch of people complaining in the comments where they're like, actually it's this color is this percentage off you know what i mean it's like (laughs) shut up yeah like it's a lot better than the original like just shut up and like enjoy it if you don't make your own fan wrong but anyway yeah i love the hard work that people do with that and i think uh the game shark was a way for you to experience games in a new way and there was some Mm -hmm. games where i probably wouldn't have beat the game when i was a kid without the game shark codes like I think Vector Man was one of them where you could get to any level you wanted and you could experience it. Um, Absolutely. It kind of reminds me of like uh, early Mario 3 growing up where you found the whistle and it's kind of like a cheat device within the game where you can like <laughs> skip like whole worlds to experience other worlds that you probably wouldn't get to. So yeah, I like that kind of stuff. I think it's just you feel like powerful knowing these secrets, you know, you're, you you tell your friends like, Hey, have you ever done this before? And it's like, that's pretty cool. You know, I like it. Yeah, I do too. And it's interesting because the Japanese version of the game, the developers seemingly knew that the game was difficult because they actually put in, there's cheat codes within the game, but only in the Japanese version. So if you press AC left and start, you begin the game with $12,321, which is not an insane amount, but it's enough to really give you a nice boost and you can jump right into like the fire stage and have enough money for the goggles, things like that. Um, If you hold B start and power on the Genesis and then release the buttons at the Sega logo and press A, B start right, you get max weapons, energy, and bombs, which is really cool. And then I thought this one was interesting. If you press AC up and start, it says region switch. So I guess the the ROM version changes or the region changes. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe you can change it to English. Um, these codes are actually programmed into the international version as well. However, the buttons are not checked, meaning it will not work. So you actually need a Game Genie code. Call, it was uh, ATGAAA2E. 
which allows wow. the codes to be entered. So there's a Game Genie code that unlocks the ability to use the original Japanese codes that are locked in the international version. Do you, I don't know why, why would you think they would actually lock the ability to use codes out in the international version? Doesn't that seem unfair or weird? It, it does seem weird. I wonder what it was. You think <laughs> it was like localization from Save of America? I feel like we always had these weird things where something I've been noticing now that we've been talking about fan ROMs where you, when you go back and you'll see like, Fans always modifying the Western Genesis version of games. Like, there's people that have retranslated Fantasy Star 2, retranslated, you know, 3. And they've also, like, re-edited Streets of Rage 3, where it's more like the Japanese version, but in America, you know? Um, So, to me, it's like, maybe it's just a weird change from Sega of America, where they're like, yeah, we have to have you lock all this stuff up. For no reason, just because. For no reason at all, yeah. 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 It's it's strange, but I mean, it's it's cool that they included that, and I've never tried this, so I'm going to be trying this uh, later on, see what that region switch is all about. Makes this part I'm really excited to talk about. There's not much to say. It's more a listening thing. We've never really done this before, but I wanted to try it. Um, the game's music, in my opinion, is excellent. As mentioned earlier... Kazuhiko Nagai is the composer for Rad Mobile. He also worked on Alien Syndrome, Altered Beast, and Star Wars Arcade. Um, He's credited for sound for this game, which I would assume means music and sound effects. And actually, it was confirmed because I was um, posting some stuff on Twitter about the game. And someone replied, and they were like, Hey, the composer actually uploaded his original music demos to his YouTube channel six days ago. And it's like, how bizarre is it that two weeks ago I was telling you, um, hey, I want to do Ghostbusters. And meanwhile, in Japan, the composer for this game discovered the uh, demos and uploaded them a week ago. Like, how perfect is that? (laughs) Perfect, perfect. So um, we don't need to... I put a lot of links here. Um, We can go through these real quick if you have them set up. Uh, Case 1... I just wanted to maybe play like 30 seconds of the music so people can kind of get a taste. Which one? Okay. I have the first one, uh, Home Sweet Home, so not that one, right? That's it. Yeah, that's case one. Okay. Home Sweet Home. So how how long do you want me to play it? I'd say like 30 seconds, 20 seconds. Got you. It's on. Cool. Wow. So it kind of repeats a bit, and then uh, once you get... Is it still... It's still playing, so... Yeah, so, yeah. I'll, I'll turn it off, l- sorry. Go on. Yeah, so it kind of repeats a bit, but then it breaks down into this cool little, like, synthy bit. Um, there's a lot of strange... I, it almost shows that this guy did do a lot of sound in earlier games, because it feels like there's a lot of sound effects within the music tracks. Like, it almost sounds like trap doors opening and closing as the, as the song's going. Um... Interestingly, I don't know if you know him, but Larry Bundy Jr., he yeah. um, he likes the music. <laughs> There's a comment that says, love this track, this and the character select theme. Is he the guy that did the the video, like he talked about columns and how we so, put the yeah. columns guy? Was that him? I think he, he did a video with that featured in it, but there was another guy that did a stage presentation. I don't think it was him, though. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, you're right. Someone else did, but yeah, yeah. It's just it's kind of cool that you go on here and some like YouTuber is like, I love this track. <laughs> so it kind of it made it uh, it made me feel validated. Basically, um, let's play track case two. That's going to be called um, apartment. What is that called? Apartment. Yeah, you want? Me? I'll play. Yeah, let's listen to some apartment. Ooh, this one's sick. It reminds me of Shinobi, doesn't it? Definitely does. So it's got some really nice tingy. Definitely a Shinobi track. Yeah, I like it. He does this kind of like nice warble to it too. It's like a almost like a wah wah. Yeah, I like it. This is a good track. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then the last one I wanted to listen to from the official soundtrack is Case 5. So this would be uh, Castle. Uh, Or Deep Hole, I'm sorry. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Yeah, I have it right here. All right, want me to play it? Yeah, go for it. Ooh. So I haven't really talked about the Ghostbusters movie music, but I feel like this one's the closest to what you would hear in the movie, especially in the opening where you're walking through the library. For sure. But but then it kind of kicks in. The jamming. Yeah, it's very, it's like spooky jam music. I really like it. It's unlike anything you really hear in other Ghostbusters materials, but it just, it, it fits and it works. Definitely. And um, it has that the, Sega uh, Genesis flavor, you know. Where yeah, you have that it's sound. just it's just like a very nice example of early Genesis soundtracks. Um, and as I mentioned, the composer did put uh, demos up, so I wanted to just listen to a couple demos here, real quick. We have the Case One original demo. I'll play it. Yeah. Wow. Very. Uh... Drummy. Isn't that different? Yeah, very different. It sounds more like tropical. I don't know why. It's like weird. Seems like it should be an yeah, let's kid song. Yeah, let it go for just a little bit more here. I feel like it should be at the beach. Like up to 30... Keep going past 30 seconds and you'll hear it. Change up? Yeah. so happy for a Ghostbusters game, you know? Yeah, and I'm not I'm not well versed on how demos worked back in the day, but I do have the Sonic 1 soundtrack and it has the demos and they're all slower. So I don't know if that was a thing like to help with composing so they would make they would present it slower and then speed it up once it got on the Genesis Mega Drive. I I'm not sure. I'll have to ask my friend who does game uh, music. Um, so the second one I wanted to play before we move on is the original pause menu music. So this is, I guess you'd say deleted material. And if you go through his YouTube channel too, it's a uh, studio recitative, R-E-Z-I-T-A-T-I-V. Um, you'll see a lot of deleted ones too, but I just wanted to listen to this one if you're ready. Gotcha. This is, seems like it's music for a much happier game. Yeah. I can see this in Fantasy Zone. 
<laughs> yeah, so it's 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 interesting stuff, and I'm really glad that he uploaded it. Um, looking at reviews of the game upon release, so this this is uh, I don't I didn't like this. This made me angry. So <laughs> I I looked at reviews for the game, Uh-oh. and though they're not as glowing as I personally would have hoped, out of 23 reviews, the game ad- averages 72 out of 100. And that's not what makes me mad. So I looked at the reviews at the time. I pulled the highest rated one and the lowest rated one, and I picked out quotes. And believe it or not, they're both kind of mean, and I'd almost say kind of racist? Uh-oh. I don't know. Um, so Mean Machines UK, they rated the game 82 out of 100, which I'd, I'd probably rate it myself. I don't think it's a perfect game. Um, they noted, though, nicely detailed, smooth and colorful graphics, but strangely, they call the music utterly dire. And they say it sounds like a load of deaf people are trying to play the Ghostbusters theme tune on some crummy old synthesizers. Uh, um, I, know, I don't know. I'm not saying deaf people it's it's not being racist to deaf people that just seems like really cruel not only to the composer but to like deaf people because i know deaf people and they love music you know like um back in the old days in the 90s we had to be like very edgy to be in video yeah Yeah. and i i threw this out there on twitter and people like what's the point i i think it's funny i'm like you think it's funny to say like oh it sounds like deaf people made it like what? Like, <laughs> come on. Like, we're at the point um, now where people can get cochlear implants and, like, learn to hear again. All the people I know that were deaf and then got surgery to, you know, gain a little bit of hearing left, the first thing they do is go to music. They're super into music. So it just seems really shitty to to draw that comparison, despite being the highest rated review that I found. Um, the lowest score was a 27 out of 100 from Sega Pro, Ooh, and they said... Your own kind. Is, <laughs> I know. They say, all the characters we know and love have been turned into Japanese mutants with massive heads. It's no fun to play. I don't think they're being racist, but it definitely feels like they just looked at a screen grab, and they're like, oh, it looks Japanese. Next. You I, know? <laughs> I kind of like wish we could go back to where you can make money off of reviewing games by just saying, oh, it looks like Japanese crap. Like, that's yeah. it. That's all you had to say back then, right? And you're like, that's my review of the game. I saw the screenshot. Give that was my... the full review, too. Like, if you remember <laughs> gaming... Yeah, if you remember gaming magazines back at the time, they would... It was almost like reading a phone book, and they would just have game after game after game after game with, like, a sentence and a score. And they must have, like, paid writers by the word. Like, maybe, like, oh, you get a, a dollar a word, so this is, like, a $12 review. I don't know. It just seems like there's no substance here. Here we are talking over an hour about this dumb game. And this guy gets paid by a magazine to write like one sentence. And he just complains about it looking like Japanese mutants. I I think that's what he gives it his charm. You know, I really do like that. Bill Murray is a chibi Japanese character. And it's like (laughs) this Japanese aesthetic. And he's like shooting like disgusting ghosts. I think that gives it charm. (laughs) Absolutely. And I disagree. And I mean, sure, say what you want about, like, the big head little buddy guys, but, like, the ghost designs are really good. They're really cool looking, for the most part. Um, almost up there with, like, stuff you see in the cartoons. I don't know. 
I'm surprised they didn't use a cartoon look, but it, it's kind of weird to see like old men with like receding hairlines looking all like cute little anime characters, but like they're actually. Well, and I think face. that's that was the funny thing about <laughs> about the movie. So I was watching Ghostbusters again recently, and I was wiki looking at Wikipedia to see how old they were. I am older than any of I think any of the actors in Ghostbusters, save for one of them. Like how, any of the. Uh, how old were they? Like 36, 37 or something? No, they were like 33. I think Bill Murray was like Jesus. like 33 or something. He was younger than we are, I think. Yeah, like, he probably was. I mean, he's younger than me for sure. So like, yeah, it's kind of weird, you know. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, this up. old man, stupid old man. And that's the funny bad. thing, though. Because when you watch the movie, they do a thing where they're like, oh, suck in your guts, guy. Come on, guys. And it's like they're playing playing it like they're like middle-aged men, but they're really in their early 30s. It's kind of surprising. So, yeah, it is It is funny, though, to see like these cutesy little Bill Murrays where he's got the the widow's peak going on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, dis- uh, we also had... Oh, yeah, advertisements. So... The game was not heavily promoted on its own. Instead, it was bundled with other games at the time in print and video adverts. So one ad that stood out to me was a Japanese ad from Beep Magazine, which actually recently had a reprint for the Mega Drive Mini. You can still buy it off eBay for like 20 bucks. But um, it shows what appears to be an unused cutscene from the game. It's the Ghostbusters running into the first stage house. So you bring that up here. We can the see it. Moonwalker on it. Is yeah, yeah, it's got yeah. Moon Moonwalker taking up most of it, but then you have Ghostbusters down there. If you look in the lower left-hand corner, that is not in the game. You see that? Oh yeah. Let me see. I'm trying to get it on frame, but it's like hard. There you go. Yeah. See, they're all they're running into the house. Isn't that goofy? That's not in the game. It's one of those early ads that were using beta screens, I'm assuming. Yeah, I don't know. And it also is interesting because it talks about Activision. It has a copyright for Activision, but they didn't make that game. So who knows? Maybe it's a Moonwalker thing. Um, And then in America, we have this cool ad. So this is the only video commercial I could find promoting this game. So when you're ready, we can check it out. I'm ready I'll, uh let me uh zoom in on the thing you know what it's good like this but all right want me to play it go for it oh brings you the 16 bit arcade challenge wow Wow. What'd you think of that? It, it reminds me of those, like, uh, Japanese commercials that they used to do for, like, um, those old Japanese commercials where, like, I don't, they still do them, actually, because I remember when they re-released Dragon Quest Eight on the, on the 3DS, they did commercials, but basically they... They hire Japanese actors to cosplay as the characters, and they do real life, you know, them doing things. They did yeah. that on here a lot on this one, which I was surprising. It's a cool. It's ad. pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty over the top extreme, especially that other game they were promoting on here. What was it called? Uh, I'm trying to, I've forgotten. Now. Forgotten I Worlds. 
Forgotten Worlds. I think I played it before. But yeah. yeah. Uh, very interesting ad. I've never seen this growing up. Did you? Sorry. No, I never did. And I, I love that they bundled it with like uh, Ghouls and Ghosts. It's just such like a... It is a perfect mix there. Yeah. Um, but as far as like a Ghostbusters commercial, it's only like nine seconds. Which isn't oh, terrible. Yeah. People people knew what Ghostbusters was. It had Slimer in the ad. Like, I think that works. It just, it, it seems kind of weird that, remember this is 1990 before Sonic 1. They were really kind of, I guess, just struggling with what Genesis actually was. You notice they talk about arcade action, even though like Ghostbusters isn't, isn't arcade. I guess, I guess Ghouls and Ghosts is, but it's Forgotten Worlds. I don't know. It's just... It seems like at the time they were still pushing Genesis as your arcade game at home, which it was and it wasn't. Um, now, uh, let's see. So despite being wholly original, and in my opinion, a lot of fun, Ghostbusters for Genesis was only really remembered by those who played it. It is not mentioned in notable platformers for the console. And even Ghostbusters fans remember the NES version and more recently the video game for the PS3 and Xbox 360 Still, people like myself will bang the drum for this hidden gem. Uh, recent IDW Ghostbusters comics actually reference the game, so there's two references I picked out. Um, one shows the pixelated heroes appearing in a multi-dimensional crossover peek into various dimensions. So if you can see there, it's got um, these it's like cool pools spread. of yeah, these pools of water, and you can see um, they're there on the left side there doing their um, little victory poses. And one of them's in the uh, death pose. So when you die in the game, you become a, you get bandaged up. I've heard people say, oh, they're a mummy. But no, I think it's like they're so hurt that they're like in the hospital covered in bandages. It's Um, to to the person, right? It's like, is it an apple or is it a caramel, (laughs) whatever thing and streets of rage, whatever (laughs) you want, dude, whatever you want. Yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of cool. I mean, they didn't actually come out and cross over. They did do a lot of crossovers in the IDW comics, but I don't know. That's neat. Um, another little Easter egg they did was in the 35th anniversary one-shot comic for Ghostbusters. There is an ad. It's kind of hard to see, but it's in the bottom frame on the far left, and that's the snowman boss from the game appearing as an ice cream cone. So oh, yeah, he's right there. Have you have you read any of the IDW Ghostbusters comics or or seen them? They look cool. I've never they read look, them. I haven't read them yet, but they look cool. And I think they did a cool like um uh like crossover with TMNT, and they do like very cool crossovers. And I think IDW writers are pretty smart, and fans of the franchises they're writing, so they always bring up these like little nitpits of fan service within them. Mm-hmm. So, I would probably read it. I read the first issue where they do the crossover with, uh, I think it was Team T, and I think they're like basically introducing them as these like ghosts. So they think that the the, the Ghostbusters think that the Team T are ghosts, obviously, and they're trying to hunt. Them that makes around. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So they always do little things like that. I I uh, I like IDW. I think they're a good co- uh, company for licensed stuff for sure. Now, it's not included here, but since Sonic is with IDW, would you oh. want to see Sonic and the Ghostbusters crossover? Would it work? I'm, I, I, that's what I'm wondering. And like, I, 
I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, how would uh, Sonic uh, translate? I could see like a Sonic Unleashed ghost thing going happening or something. Yeah. It, where like the ghosts bring him, Sonic, into this other world. But it, it would still be kind of strange and hard to do. For some reason, I could see Sonic working right with like, I don't know, for, for some reason, like Power Rangers. For some reason, like, mm. can you imagine a Sonic where he gets a Power Ranger suit? Like, come on, dude. That would hype up the fans. That would be pretty sweet. I think Sonic and Ninja Turtles could cross over really well, especially oh, yeah. since they were both the original Archie adventure series uh, back in the day. They both had comics at the same time from Archie, and now they have comics at the same time from uh, uh, IDW. Um trying to think who you know they, a lot of people have been throwing out sonic and like my little pony i don't want that to happen just because it sounds really uninteresting to me personally but i could see that being a thing yeah, but for sure who knows it would be it would be cool if idw just like put a bunch of names in a hat and then they're like this year we're doing crossovers but it's all randomized so they'd be like sonic and ghostbusters that's the only way Ooh. i could see it happening sonic but and transformers <laughs> michael that bay transformers that could Michael work with go, uh, <laughs> with uh, Eggman controlling the Decepticons and creating oh, like Decepticon. Can you imagine a Sonic game where you like the in bosses are just Transformers that have been taken over by uh, Eggman? That'd be sick. Metal Sonic as a Transformer. That'd be sick too. Okay, that would be awesome. Work. Okay, well yeah. we're off the rails here, but hey, final thoughts on Ghostbusters. It's a personal favorite of mine. I'm so glad that I got to talk about it for an hour plus here with you, George. I hope you check it out after listening to this, either you or anyone at home. It's a fun game. It's an imperfect game. But as we have said for years together, I feel like it's the games that are not the 10 out of 10, you know, AAA award-winning titles that are the most fun. It's the ones where... You know, there's some warts, but you find a lot of fun in them, and that's this game. So as far as Patreon memories, we only have one, George. I oh. wonder why. It's a game nobody's ever played, ever. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing. So it's from Daniel Andres. So if you uh, are a Patreon backer at any level, you can have your memories read at the end of an episode. We will throw the game out there on Patreon, and you have about two weeks to share your thoughts. So we had Daniel Andres. He said... <laughs> I, I ha- yeah, I know, right? He said, I still have yet to play this one. It looks fun and interesting. I also love how all of the characters have giant heads in this game. So there you go, Daniel. Thank you. And then throwing it out to Twitter, um, <laughs> uh, we have Volt Karu. He said, I didn't play this back in the day. Oh, but he did say he had it come up in a random game challenge, and it was a much more enjoyable experience than the Activision game. Also, I just wow. used the mini boss theme in a recent music quiz. So neat coincidence. Okay, so it's it's a it's a hidden gem, um, just like we are. So thank you for listening, George. You already said what we're covering next week next and week. the week after. So I guess yes. we don't have any any more teasers unless we <laughs> reveal what we're covering in three weeks. But that three episodes, unless somebody else pays us another episode, then we're gonna choose the next one after two weeks. I mean, the next two episodes. So oh the God. third episode, we'll we'll pick something, and it'll be awesome. I swear, it'll be. That's like maybe, end of November. Yeah, maybe I'll make it an Atlas game for the first time ever. Somebody Ooh. suggested that, so we'll see. Thanksgiving Thank you guys special. For watching. Bye. Boo. I mean, bye. <laughs>